title of Raul Medan's brand new album, Badass and Blind, sums it up pretty nicely. True, Raul is blind and has been since birth, but when it comes to music, he's as badass as they come. The New York Times described him as a one-man band who turns a guitar into an orchestra and his voice into a chorus. Since 1999, Raul has released eight solo albums that touch a variety of musical landscapes and features his blazing, percussive-style fingerwork on the guitar, as well as his soulful, silky vocals. His talents have also been featured on tours, sessions, and album projects for artists such as Shakira, India Ari, Al Jarreau, Marcus Miller, Julio Iglesias, Stevie Wonder, Jason Mraz, and Herbie Hancock. His ninth studio album, Badass and Blind, is set to be released on March 24th and will find Raul expanding into his jazz roots and featuring compositions that explore linear modal harmony, similar to the musical avenues taken by jazz legends Miles Davis and Wayne Shorter. To expand on his incredible journey in music and to chat further about his brand new album, Inside Music Cast is pleased to welcome Raul Midon. Hey Raul, welcome to Inside Music Cast. Oh, thank you for having me. Hey, you know, this might be a, a strange way to begin an interview, but an artist and, and good friend of ours that, that's actually been on our show before, his name's Jerry Lopez. You know mm -hmm. Jerry. He's the leader of an incredible band in Las Vegas called Santa Fe and the Fat City Horns. Uh, he reached out to us when uh, when he heard we were uh, going to be talking to you. And, and, and again, Jerry's from Santa Fe, New Mexico, and he told us about how your father, George, performed at a place called uh, Zambra's Flamenco Restaurant in the early 70s. Man, you are going way back. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jerry was, I think he was around 16 at the time, and he was working He was working there as a strolling troubadour who also ran lights <laughs> yeah. for the flamenco show at the restaurant. And he recalled uh, when the restaurant was being built and finished, how there were, you know, many times, uh, you know, that your, your father would ask Jerry to watch you and your brother in the grassy area behind the <laughs> restaurant while the adults were busy inside. And Jerry described how how uh, everyone loved you and your brother and enjoyed having you both around. And he also said that, you know, you were energetic, you were mischievous <laughs> and talented, and, he, and he's so proud of your accomplishments today. Uh, so anyway, that's wow, cool. Jerry one. Lopez. Wow. <laughs> so wow. I, I think I probably met him um, – a few years ago, but it had been so long. I mean, yeah. I was like five years old. We're talking about <laughs> yeah, yeah, that long ago. So you really don't know if this this story is even true or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean to some extent it is. I remember him, you yeah. know, but it's it's uh, that's a, that's a long time ago. Wow, you know, and and the brain is in a lot different stage of development at that point. <laughs> well, moving on, your your father was the one who introduced you to your your first instrument, which was was a drum, and it. At what point yes. do you? What point uh, do you begin to learn the guitar? I mean, when did you pick up the guitar initially? I think my father realized that there was an interest there, uh -huh. and uh, there was a guitar around the house mm -hmm. that we uh, that we had. It was kind of a mini. It wasn't a requinto. It was it was a regular guitar, but it was kind of a smallish guitar, which mm -hmm. maybe was a good thing for mm -hmm. a kid. <laughs> and uh, so he got me lessons with the guitarist of the flamenco show of the restaurant okay. that he ran. Yeah. And that was, those were my first lessons. And I think I was about six years old at that time. Wow. And, you know, um, and I remember the first thing I ever learned on the guitar was Sevillanas, which is pretty weird for a kid in the U.S. to learn. <laughs> you know, most kids yeah. are learning, uh, I don't know, whatever the... Smoke on the water. You know, <laughs> yeah, smoke on the... Exactly. <laughs> at that time, it would have been uh, smoke on the water or stairway to heaven or something like that. Yeah. But the first thing I learned was Sevillanas on the guitar. 
Wow. Because, uh, you know, David, his name was David. He was, uh, uh, I think he was, he played guitar, but he was also a bartender, if I remember correctly. Okay. All right. And uh, and he taught me how to play Sevillanos on the Wow. Very cool. That's interesting. You So you learned on the classical Spanish stuff. My goodness, that's great. Yeah, I mean, that was really the, I mean, I didn't really get into playing electric guitar until college. Uh, interesting. And, you know. It was all flamenco, and even after that, I, you know, did classical guitar and flamenco guitar. Mm-hmm. That's neat. And, uh, you know, everything was about technique and scales. Sure. No theory. Okay. You know, no theory whatsoever. It was all about exercises and scales and mm-hmm. learning yeah. things by road. I learned things by like put your first finger on the third fret, second string, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Learning by doing, huh? <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, in college, I, 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 you know, really began to realize how important theory was. It, it, it was, there were all these sounds that I loved. I was listening to, you know, chicory and stuff like that in high school. And like, how do you make those chords? Yeah. And how do you create these voicings? And I realized that theory was a way to, you know, to be able to understand in your brain, yeah, to, right. you know, how to, how to create different sounds. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen, you, you know, speaking of your guitar style, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, your style is very intricate and it's very detailed and almost percussive. And uh, yeah. so when you're talking about the people that you were listening to, uh, any uh, particular guitarists uh, that influenced you in any particular way that helped you develop your, your, your guitar playing styles? Well, I mean, the first guitar players were, it was all about Samenko. It was mm-hmm. Sabicas, you know, it was... You know, Manolo Sanlúcar, it was uh, Paco de Lucia, mm-hmm. and and then, you know, and then, of course, I started to listen to, you know, the stuff that was around, uh, you know, rock and roll, whether it was Led Zeppelin or yeah, Jimi sure. Hendrix, or... I was really influenced at one point by Tuck Andrus. Really? From Tuck and Pat. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah because, you know, he, he, he also had kind of a... A percussive way of playing, and also he was a, he accompanied you know Tuck, as, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Patty. I'm sorry, yeah, as, yeah. as a singer, and so that was really important, you know, for me. Uh, and and they were very. Uh, I think they used to play with headphones or something like mm-hmm. that. It wasn't just a guy strumming along with somebody singing. Like Tuck has had a very particular has probably still does a very particular way of accompanying a singer, and that was very important for me. Of course, I listened to, you know, Pat Metheny and John Schofield, Mm -hmm. you know, the improvisers, very important. Uh, One of the big influences on me was a guitarist by the name of Lenny Bro. Uh, And a lot of people don't know about him. And the only thing I have to say is just look it up. Because Lenny Bro was one of those great guitar players that just as he started to get known, he died. Oh, wow. And... uh, he, he was Ann Murray's accompanist back in the 70s. He, he did a bunch of studio stuff. He was a great jazz guitar, one of the greatest jazz guitar players that ever lived that wow. never got known for it. Interesting. Um, Chet Atkins signed into an open contract in the 70s. That's wow. how good he was. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. So, yeah, and, and, and what was Lenny Bro came up, I don't know if he came up with it, but perfected this whole way of playing with false harmonics. And uh, he 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 had um, really elaborate, and he was also a, a, a Travis picker. You know, 
the way Chet Atkins would play, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With, with playing a melody and then accompaniment, sort of like stride guitar. Uh-huh. And he would play and comp for himself. He would solo and comp for himself. So there was all kinds of... He had a very pianistic approach to the guitar. I see. Interesting. So that was a big, big yeah. influence. And when I heard Lenny Bro, it just blew my mind. And I'm telling you, B-R-E-A-U, you got to check it out. If you've never heard it before, it's going to blow your mind. And it, and it's 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 amazing that he's not better known. Huh. But, you know, he died, I think it was around 1980, and he was just starting to break through in terms of the mainstream, and uh, he had pretty bad drug problems and oh. stuff, so. I'll definitely look him up because I'll admit that I, I I didn't I don't know about him I don't know his music so I'm definitely going to check that out. No, I mean I'm, I'm telling you, yeah. you will not be sorry. It's crazy the the stuff that he used to play wow. when nobody else. I mean, uh, he was a big part of the development of the guitar. I mean, that was Joe Pass and there was uh-huh. all that, but yeah. Lenny Bro had this whole other thing going of dividing the guitar in different ways and playing independently comping and playing solos at the same time and, and you know as well as being a really amazing Travis Picker. Okay. You know, he could play like Cannonball Rag and those kind of things. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Pat Metheny a second ago and it kind of whenever I think of Pat Metheny, I think about the University of Miami and of course yes. that's where you, you attended school in the late 80s and uh, you obviously you went there because of their jazz curriculum and and then uh, yes. of course you went on to do some incredible session work in Miami you know as a singer yes. for Latin artists such as Shakira, Julio Iglesias, Ho- Jose Feliciano and others and you know there was so much happening musically in Miami and and how did those particular artists the, the mm-hmm. people you worked with how did they come to learn about you Well I mean I um and this is a, an example of how sometimes the the college can be a real help. So I was I was in in, in University of Miami in the jazz vocal program, uh-huh. and a few people from there before I got into it had became sort of part of the Guns for Hire studio scene in Miami, which was pretty. It was it was pretty active, probably from you know from the mid-80s all the way up until the early 2000s. There was a lot going on, uh-huh. and there was, a, there was a, a fair amount of work, not as much as New York or L.A., but there was a lot of work. Sure. And so these guys were part of the group, and since I was, uh, and they were all uh, alumni of University of Miami. Okay. So, there was, uh, so I kind of got, there was one person that, um, I don't remember if they wanted to replace him or if, he didn't show up or something, and uh, and I got called to do a session, and then I I, I uh, kind of took over the the guy's job, <laughs> and uh, I basically worked for ten years as a session singer. Wow! You know? Okay, just singing on everything, and it was you know, and it was it was it was interesting because what I learned was first of all how to sing in a group, which yeah I don't do very much of now, but yeah. you know you 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 do a lot of that in the studio. You learn about things like uh, measuring your vibrato so you can sing in a group and have your vibrato be together so it's super tight. Right. You learn about how to count. You know, when you're singing in a group, you need to be able to release. And it's not like, you know, singers on the street. You need to be able to release and, and enter at the same time. So you're counting one, one and two and three and four and two and three and four and and yeah. you have to release on that sure. and a four or whatever mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. and so you learn about how to do that as a group and 
and how to blend with different color voices and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I learned about being in the, I learned a lot about being in the studio from doing that. Okay. You know? That's a very, okay. very technical uh, singing approaches. You know, they have to be tight. So, so the vocals don't uh, end up sloppy, right? Yeah. And at yeah. that time, you know, in certain kinds of music, that was very, you know, important. We did, a, we ended up doing a lot of background vocals for, you know, a lot of Latin artists. In the 90s, we ended up, we started to be background vocals for some mainstream because there was a Latin craze, if you remember, back mm -hmm. in the 90s. Yeah. And so the, a lot of the stuff moved to Miami. So, you know, um, Julio Iglesias started singing in English. And, you know, Enrique, uh, I sang on the hero, uh, Will You Be My Hero, Baby? I sang mm -hmm. on that choir. Really? Oh, cool. Uh, for Julio, yeah. I'm in there and somewhere. Uh, and, and so we did the background vocals for a lot of mainstream artists in the 90s. Jennifer Lopez. Uh -huh. Gloria Stefan. Gloria. Jeez. I actually never... Yeah, I did. I did sing on Gloria, but I, I wasn't in the uh, Gloria group. There gotcha. was a, another group of people that were in the, the Gloria thing. Mm -hmm. And I never really quite got in that. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned Shakira just a little while ago. Was this your first experience in, uh, in touring and... Uh, and if it so, was. was it really okay? It was absolutely because you know I was so I was active enough in the session scene that I didn't tour. Mm -hmm. I didn't need to tour. I just stuck around town. Gotcha. And uh, when I toured with Shakira, it just brought up all kinds of things like you know how you tour as a blind person, yeah. you know, and all that. Right. I mean, I I toured with Shakira by myself essentially. Really? I didn't have a. I mean, I I travel with an assistant now, somebody who's a tour manager and helps me. Right. I didn't have that when I was really so, holy cow. No, yeah. So it was. It was. Uh, I had to pack my own suitcase. Everything. <laughs> wow, totally on your own. You know, um, I wasn't responsible for getting to the gigs, but I was responsible for getting to yeah to the lobby. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was tough. Yeah, it was hard. So, so following your your touring experiences, uh, you know, you moved to New York City, and uh, and because you know you had made pretty good inroads from the from Miami, and and but you, now that you're in uh, in New York, you know, how did the Latin music scene uh, differ from Miami, and did it create more opportunities for you? You know, now that you're in New York, I did not do any. Latin music work <laughs> in New York at all. Never. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, the Latin music scene in, in Miami, as far as, it, for, for me, my experience had absolutely nothing to do with New York. Wow, that's interesting. I thought I would get called, you know, I had this resume, I had done all this stuff, all these background vocals. I didn't get, the only call I got when I lived in New York was to work with with Alejandro Sanz, and yeah. they flew me to Miami. I love his work. That's great. That's it, huh? <laughs> they flew me to Miami. They they paid for my hotel. They paid me a bucket load of money, <laughs> and and but I, no, I did work with one uh, that was on the same label that I was on. Um, but what I thought would happen would never happen, which is that my my resume would be portable, that I would be able to carry it and work in New York. Didn't yeah. happen. Yeah, that's interesting. Never happened. Wow. Well, your first album, it was released back in 1999. It was titled Gracias a la Vida, and it was released, yeah. it was released through Sony, BMG, RCA. And it, it's, uh, I guess it was a traditional Latin-Spanish language album, you know, comprised of songs comp yeah. composed I by others. Yeah, I think Rudy Perez was the producer. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. And, you know, it was, it was basically, 
I think, an attempt to cash in on the whole Luis Miguel thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody wanted Except to. Except much lower budget. <laughs> it was Boy. Luis Miguel on a much lower budget. Wow. Jeez. And, uh, I mean, for me, it was, it was a mixed experience. I, I really... Um, I didn't enjoy being like we would come up with these cool arrangements and then they would just dumb them down to, uh, you know, I, I just, it, mm-hmm. it was, it was a weird experience and actually was one of the things that made me want to leave Miami. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a very closed approach, you know, so commercial there, there's uh-huh. no room for, you know, I just, I just got sick of, working for somebody else. Right, you know? mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. And and even my album, Gracias a la Vida, felt like I was working for somebody else, really. That's mm-hmm. interesting, yeah. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't... Uh, like, when I started doing my own stuff, starting with State of Mind, I mean, I I just did what I wanted, pretty much. I mean, he, I, you know, I had a reef, and, and sometimes we would get into a little bit of arguments, but he basically said, I want to record what you do. You yeah, know? sure. Instead of trying to make me do something that's, they thought would be commercial. You know? Interesting. You know, well, from what we can tell, you know, your 2001 album that was called Blind to Reality, you know, it was an independent release, but... Um, yeah, you guys know about all that. Most people don't even know about that. Oh, no, that's that's <laughs> all we do. We, we dig in because we want to sort of uncover all those treasures, and we've sort of been listening to this. But, you know, I do want to, while we're, while we're talking about this, though, I do want to... Um, compliment Scott Gross, our no correspondent doubt. down in, in Largo, Florida, because he helped us with a lot of research for this, and uh, he knows your work very wow. well. So yeah, was, you guys really did do your research. <laughs> oh, so thanks to Scott. Kudos yeah. was, to Scott. Uh, basically, the thing about that, that was the first album that, the, you know, where just kind of, I just kind of wrote all the songs and, uh-huh. you know, co-produced it and just mm-hmm. did everything, and and uh, you know, got us a publishing deal to go to New York. Mm-hmm, basically, mm-hmm, I mean, you know, I got a bunch of money from Warner Chapel, and I used it to get the hell out of Miami. <laughs> wow. Good for you. Well, I'm I'm just curious when you compare that album, you know, this this the second album that you, Blind to Reality, to your your first album in 1999. It seems like probably that that first experience, the first album you made it sound as if you know they, it was dumbed down. It really wasn't what you wanted to do, but then. Uh, was it was this next album Blind Reality? Was it more enlightenment for you in terms of you know getting an album out there and making it your own? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was me yeah. saying, "This is who I am. I'm being an artist. I'm going to play my songs. I'm not going to yeah, yeah. do something because somebody else thinks <laughs> that this is what I should do." Yeah. You know, it was it was an independent album. It was uh, you know obviously Gracias a la Vida was a label you know project. Yeah. And this was like you know like. Borrow money from your parents and stuff, and make the album. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. <laughs> you know, you were living in New York, so you were contributing to different projects. And uh, but uh, there was this. No, one. When, when I made it blind to reality, I was living in Miami. Yeah, you were back. Oh, in Miami. you were in Miami. Got yeah, you. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I wasn't in. I moved to New York after that. That's actually, as I said, part of part of what got us the deal. Plus, uh-huh. uh, I did uh, two thousand. In 2001, right after 9-11, there was this big fundraiser, like a songwriter kind of fundraiser for the Red Cross in Miami, sponsored mm-hmm. by Warner Chapel. Interesting. And I don't remember exactly when, but it was like September 20th or something. It was right after 9-11. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were 25 performers on that show. And people wow. paid, and it was, you know, went to it went to the Red Cross, you know. Like, we didn't get paid for it. It was just like a kind of a... But it was kind of a 
Warner Chapel got all their artists together yeah. from Nashville, from everywhere to, to do this. Yeah. And I was the very last performer on the bill. Really? And basically, you know, everybody kind of didn't really know who I was. And I, and they were so impressed with me. They offered me a hundred thousand dollar deal the next day. Holy cow. And, and that's, that's how I got to New York basically. Wow, interesting. No, I mean, you got the money, and you know, you gotta, you gotta move, and you gotta pay first and last month security <laughs> deposit on an apartment exactly. in New York City. So, so that gave me the cash to do it. You know? Yeah, interesting. Sure. New York is not cheap by any means. No, <laughs> it's no joke. You know, in, in New York, you collaborated with uh, Little Louis Vega, and um, yes. And, uh, and and you actually toured with him, I think, some European and Japanese uh, tours in Australia. Yeah, uh, that's but, true. Yeah, that's tell, tell us about right. working with Louis, uh, Louis Louis Vega. I mean, you know, Louis was uh, kind of saved me in a certain way in New York uh, because, you know, you, you I moved to New York and it was a huge shock. And like I said, my session work didn't transport. I got fired from Shakira because I missed a gig to do the publishing showcase. Oh, no. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I thought I was going to have the Shakira gig, and I didn't have it. So I was kind of a, you know, Louis, it wasn't, uh, it was hard in some ways because Louis didn't travel with a sound man. You know, he's a DJ, so so there were things about it that were hard, but it, it really kind of saved me and mm -hmm. saved my life in New York. At least I had a gig of some sort. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's so, interesting. So I toured, and it was fun, and I also kind of came to respect Louis in a certain way. You know, he was a DJ that could count bars. Let me tell you, Louis could count bars. I mean, <laughs> we would have these sequences that was like, you come in after 45 bars, and Louis was never, never off. Wow. Holy cow. <laughs> he always knew where where people were supposed to come in in the music, and I, I had never met a DJ like that. Wow. So I have to say, I, I had, I had a... a a big respect for for anybody that can count forty five bars consistently and still be yeah. right. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I don't know how he did it. If he had cues, what? However, he did it. He did yeah. it. Yeah, and a mathematical mind. Certain musical signals that he followed. Yeah, whatever. yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. So, was it around the same time, or when was it that you connected with uh, producer uh, Arif Martin and his and I think his son Joe? Like, can you tell us about how you met and decided to work together? Well. I'll tell you some, some parts of the story that I don't normally tell. We initially, and, and I never got him to admit this, but we initially sent him a tape, uh -huh. and, and they rejected it. Okay. And that was actually the low point. That's when I was like, I'm leaving New York. If, if, they, you know, if I can't work with a reef and yeah. you know, Blue Note, then you know, forget it. I'm leaving. Right. And, right. uh and Louis was like, no, no, don't leave. I'll, I'll you know, I'll do whatever, whatever I got to do. You know, I'll pay you to stay here for a little bit longer because I really want to work with you. And so we stayed in New York, and I was playing at this place, Arthur's, and okay. uh, I met uh, a saxophone player's wife, who was on Blue Note, and hmm. uh, and she said, oh, I'm going to talk to Bruce about you. And she said, oh, Bruce says he's never heard of you. And I thought that's really strange because. I just got rejected by Bruce Lundlo and Louis Vega. And, uh, but, uh, so then we started working with this lawyer and he got me a meeting with a reef, uh, a face to face meeting with a reef at, at, at the blue note office. Interesting. So I went there and played 
Now, they acted like they did had never heard me before, but I know that's not true. <laughs> anyway, I played for them, and uh, I played the song Everybody, yeah. which was the song that got me the deal, I think. Yeah. And he says, uh, play that, hold on a second, hold on. And he leaves. He says, excuse me, and he leaves the office. And I'm like, what the hell's happening here? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he comes back with, like, all the staff of Blue Note that he could get. Not including Blue, Blue wow. Bruce Lundell wasn't there that day, but he got all the stuff, and he goes, "Play that again." <laughs> and I played it, and he said, "Oh, we have to, we have to sign you." So wow. we were playing a, a residency at Joe's Pub uh-huh. um, at that time, like every month, uh-huh. and so we managed to get a whole bunch of people to come to this one show. It was it was a reef from uh, Blue Note and Bruce, and there was a. a person from Motown there there was a person from Atlantic Records it was a it wow. was kind of a it was a perfect storm yeah Holy cow. and we got them all there and Sylvia Rohn came and said oh he's fantastic isn't he and the reef says oh yes we signed him already which was not true <laughs> <laughs> he was just protecting <laughs> you man <laughs> but, but yeah. uh, so she she offers us like this huge deal the next day like we got this contract oh my gosh like, you know and I actually really wanted to work with a reef. So we kind of turned around and said, Hey, you know, uh, we got this big offer from, you know, from, uh, whatever. I don't remember if it was, uh, uh, Epic or one of the record companies. Sure. You know, maybe you can, uh, you know, come up a little bit. So we got a little bidding war going and, uh, (laughs) and a reef, they never offered us as much, as the other record company, but I really wanted to work with him, so I took it. I just wanted him to co- to uh, at least come close to it. Right, right. That's amazing. It's a cool story. <laughs> it is really cool, <laughs> you know. So you and Joe, uh, you know, I mean, Arif and, and Joe, they produced uh, State of Mind, and they released it in right. two, 2005. And, uh, you know, it it got critical praise and acclaim. and uh, Yeah, it did, yeah. It landed you on television, on Letterman, and... Yep. Uh, but people saw a new side of you, and this is uh, the new technique of playing a trumpet. Tell us about the your, your mouth trumpet technique because we've seen it on uh, on videos, and I'm like, it's it's simply amazing, you know. It tell is. us, yeah, tell well, us I about. Mean, this. I was doing that for a long time. It's just that it got exposure. Uh-huh. You know, that right. really just got it. Just you know, got exposure. So, yeah. you know, uh, I don't think it'll ever be like that again. I mean, when I when I did Letterman. Mm-hmm. It was like uh, it was like an earthquake the next day. Like all of a sudden, I <laughs> yeah. I shot past Coldplay on yeah. Amazon to number one. You know, it lasted for about a day. You know, but still, sure. You know, it 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 had like this kind of massive impact, and um, I think you know, in a, in a way, I came at the right time and at the wrong time in, in the sense that. You know, my music has never really been a genre. It, it's never really fitted a genre. Uh-huh. Yeah, I and I think you. it's it's one of the reasons why, you know, it, that didn't turn into like a major a major thing. But you know, it was it was, uh, you know, I mean, I I have a career. You know, it set me up for yeah. for for a career for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Well, hey guys, if you don't mind, let's uh, take a trip back to two thousand five. And let's check out this title track from the album State of Mind. And this is from our guest today, Raul Medan, on Inside Music Cast. 
sit and worry about the future Worrying about the future don't change the past Used to think tomorrow would be better But now I know that I'm doing the best I can I'm just a man Trying to find the reason for what I stand Took some time to realize that I am What I am And I wanna be rich I wanna be happy And live inside a love that shines Bright enough to last a lifetime I wanna be rich More than a fantasy Ride the winds and climb Cause it's all a state of mind It's all a state of mind And I turn the pages Don't understand what's going down Everybody's acting so outrageous It's gonna take a lot of love to turn things around I'm just a man Trying to find the reasons why I stand Took some time to realize that I am What I am And I wanna be rich I wanna be happy and live inside a love that shines bright enough to last a lifetime I wanna be rich, more than a fantasy Ride the winds and climb Cause it's all a state of mind Talking about going to heaven Grab a little bit of heaven right here on earth Troubled times lead to healing times I was sad, now I'm feeling fine It's a taking and the giving That makes this life worth living Makes this life worth living I wanna be rich I wanna be happy And live inside a love that shines Bright enough to last a lifetime I wanna be rich More than a fancy Ride the winds and Cause it's all a state of mind Oh, live inside a love that shines bright enough to light the light I wanna be rich, more than a fantasy Ride the winds and climb, ride the winds and fly Cause it's all a state of What do you think about if, if I was to say, you know, that uh, your, let's say, your personal genre, Raul Midon, your music, and the, everything that you do with it, tell us about the comparison of, of the, your live performance career as opposed to the recording. I mean, you, I, I see you perform, uh, you know, uh, on live performances, and, and everybody's like, wow, this guy's a monster. I mean, I saw the video there with India Ari that, that several years back, and and uh, she's just standing right next to you in total awe. But that's your live performance, you know? Where, where do you yeah, really... I mean, I, don't, I, don't, I honestly don't know quite what to say about that. I mean, I think I've always wanted the records to be the thing, and it's always been the live thing. Yeah. And that's just the, that's just the way it's been so far. Right. Um, 
you know, I mean, in, in, in some ways, really, the, the records are what set you up for, for bigger things because, you know, um, yeah. and, and I've always, you know, striven to make the best records that I, that I can. Yes. Uh, and people have always kind of said, well, your, your live is so much better than the record. And it's, it's, it's kind of frustrating yeah. to be honest with you, but you know, well, I, I just do what I do, do and what hope do. people like it. You know, when when we think about that that pinnacle moment, you know, with state of mind, uh, you know, you put in so much time and work before that, you know, before you hit that point. But now, you're recording with Stevie Wonder and, and <laughs> Jason Mraz. And was this period still a bit overwhelming when that was happening? Or did, did absolutely? Yeah. Oh no, it was it was quite a ride. I mean, yeah. You know, those first years when you're still the new kid on the block, and all of a sudden, you know, you you find yourself in the same room with Herbie Hancock or, yeah, yeah. you know, Stevie Wonder or, you know, uh, Marcus Miller yeah. or, you know, whatever. It just, you know, it was like, wow. Yeah, interesting. Damn. I was just curious, you know, in, in, in working with Stevie Wonder, did you ever get a chance to just uh, sit and chat with Stevie? I mean, no. And, no. I never really hung with him. No, yeah, okay. and that's, there's always lots yeah. of people around. Sure. So mm-hmm. it's not really a hang, you know. Uh, yeah. I just yeah, I, I, that never happened. Okay, that right. would be great to really <laughs> hang with him and really talk about sure not just his career, but you know, being blind and what that what's it, what was like and what what you know, get into some more intimate things. That would be, really be something that would be interesting to me, and yeah. not just talk about you know, sure. oh, you're great and you know, you're a great artist and I. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a fan and all that shit. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, following your state of uh, mind album, you know, in 2007, you know, you uh, you deliver a world within a world, and that was by uh, produced by Joe Martin and um, right. Yeah, and um, you know, this um, how how did this change from state of mind? I mean, you you started uh, expanding your creative palette a little bit, more jazz and yeah, Latin and, funk. and in some ways, that was one of my favorite albums still. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of eclecticism. I did some R and B stuff, and it just it it was a really bad time because that's when EMI got sold to uh, Terra Firma to private equity, and it was just uh, the music industry was basically just disintegrating at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And people like me, who are not really, you know, so Blue Note merged into Capital. Blue Note was its own entity when I came there. So there was a whole bunch of people that were actually dedicated to shopping, alternative, adult, more jazz-oriented music. And, you know, when the music industry collaped, basically, it it kind of got, you know, so now the same guys that are doing Taylor Swift are doing, you know, Raul Midon or something, (laughs) forget it. You're you're never going to get any attention in in that environment. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I mean, that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. Not Taylor Swift specifically, but <laughs> <laughs> I just use that as an example. Right. At that time, it would have been Coldplay. Sure. Or, yeah. So you, you know, your touring schedule over the years is quite extensive. I mean, taking yeah. you know, uh, taking you to concert venues and jazz festivals, you know, all over the world, and many times, and you know, you've worked with. And alongside some incredible artists like India Ari, as Eddie mentioned, Marcus Miller, you mentioned him, Herbie, Richard Bona, Al Jarreau, and, and so many others. Is there a particular performance or two that kind of stick in your mind as a special memory for you? I don't know 
performance. I mean, obviously, the Letterman one was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just because it was the first time I was on television. Um, yeah, yeah. My first time at Carnegie Hall, that was when I did the Spike Lee, um, the mu- music, movie music of Spike Lee. That was another break that I got in New York. Okay. Another yeah. one of the first breaks that I got. Okay. A couple of shows that I, I did some touring with Richard Bona. Some of those performances were pretty uh, pretty off the chain. Yeah. Just playing with, with him, you know. Yeah. Just playing with Al Jarreau and George Benson. I, I did a tour with them in, I think, 97. That was, that was incredible. I mean, that was <laughs> literally my dream tour. Really? Two of the most influential performers and and artists in, in you know what I really am into yeah this kind of uh jazz meets mainstream music exactly. you know yeah. that was about as good as it got it is that was just you know every night being on stage with Al Jarreau and, and George Benson was just uh <laughs> yeah pretty wild that's pretty cool you know who I spoke to today I at Larry Williams who who toured with uh, with Al for for quite a long time? Yeah. You know? Oh yeah, man. And uh, I, I yeah, mentioned I'm out a lot, and uh, Al showed us all of us singers the possibilities. Yeah. He opened up the door. Well, I asked Larry. I said, "Hey, hey, tell me about uh, Raúl." Uh, he and, and basically he just said, "Oh my God!" He said he's a great musician, great guy, and and then of course he mentioned uh, that that you toured with the, the Benson Giro tour. Yeah. So he had he had a fun time, man. So kudos to you for. Oh Larry. no, it was it was amazing. I just saw Al uh, not too long ago, last year in Brazil. That was the last time I think I saw him. Maybe, maybe yeah, I think maybe I saw him in California. Yeah, but that was one of the great performances for me yeah what a memory he was also one of our favorite interviews we've had him on the show probably i think it was three years ago and yeah such a sweet guy he was just such such a sweet man he was just so fun to talk to you know so generous um you know i performed with him a number of times and it's just so generous and so open and yeah I'll tell you a, a, a little story. The first time I ever played, sang with Al on stage might have been the second night of the Al George Benson tour. It was in Atlanta, of all places, right here where I am now. Oh, yeah. And uh, I had thought that maybe before the end of the tour that I would, you know, maybe sing with them once. And then George ended up asking me to, to do it for, for the rest of the tour. So I'm on stage, and Al has crutches and huh. he's walking on crutches and i i have this horrible picture in my mind of me like stepping on al's foot because he wants to take me out on stage yeah. but he's you know he's, he's having trouble walking and i'm like fuck i, I don't i want to like what if i hurt al like on stage oh, you know my, yeah. so i'm like dragging i'm like pulling way back and he's like dragging me on the stage <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to guide you, know, you on stage <laughs> because i was so scared of do- of hurting him you know that's yeah. amazing oh. <laughs> what a story man it's so sad that he's gone but i tell you you if anyone's got memories in their pockets you do right now you know yeah well that's one of the great ones and one of the great dreams that has come true for me yeah, yeah just absolutely. to be able to work with Sure. People like that. 
Yeah. Hey, we want to get technical a little bit and get into some technology because we're curious about your studio. We know and we read that uh, that you actually collaborated, uh, I don't know how recent this was, but uh, with Cakewalk and Dancing Dots. And so explain how, you know, about how you use this technology, which is specifically designed for, for the blind uh, or, you know, uh, impaired. And, and uh, how do you work within it? How has it impacted you? And how did that go? To put it in, in a... You know, in a nutshell, mm-hmm. it allows me to produce and engineer my my own records, mm. and and basically, what these programs do um, is they use keyboard shortcuts, and and uh, in in the case of Cakewalk, they they remap a little bit the uh, the program so that what you normally do with a mouse, you do with with the keyboard. Shortcuts. So uh-huh. for instance, if you want to get levels, there is a way to, to basically configure the screen so that the level meters are being read by your screen reader. So if you, if you hit a, a key and then you, you know, clap into the mic or sing into the mic, it will tell you your peak levels. And, you know, for when you're recording, that's, as you know, that's extremely important to know what your levels are. (laughs) Right, Uh, right. All this work went into scripting for VST plugins, which is something that, you know, most recording engineers use. Right. Uh, So you have keyboard access to the professional tools that, you know, that an engineer would have. So compressors, you know, you, you can access most of the parameters of a compressor or a compressor limiter or yeah. uh, a, and then tons and tons of MIDI instruments. So you can go in as well as editing, which is really important. So you can edit your audio. So instead of just editing by bar, you can edit by beat, you can edit by frame, you can edit by so cool. uh, tick, you know, really, really, really tiny little increments. And you don't learn it in a day or a week, but um, eventually you can get pretty much comparable to anyone that can see as far as, you know, using the equipment. That's impressive. That's very cool. It's, it's, yeah, you use a screen reader, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. what's called a screen reader. Right. And then there are scripts that have to be written so that, as I said, so that the mouse is replaced by the keyboard. Absolutely. Interesting. So you don't do anything with the mouse at all. I see. That's amazing. Yeah, and, you know, the the technical aspect of that, I mean, I'm technical, but the guys that did that are way beyond me when it comes to computers. I mean, they, they write scripts and they can, yeah. you know, literally create kind of a whole overlay that that allows you to do all this stuff, which the program is not designed it's designed to use a mouse, right? Right. Exactly. Most recording, you know, software is used is is, is all recording software actually right, right. is designed to be used with a mouse. I just can't imagine the, the the vision and sort of the you know just the trial and error those guys had to you know obviously there had to be a lot of R and D behind it too. You know, there to, still is. There's actually a new yeah. uh, software which I um, which is now uh, which is in, in Windows 10 which is not something I use because my stuff still works and I'm not going to stop using it until I can't use it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there is still uh, people, you know, 
going on with it and and research. I'm on the a free li- on a list that uh, where people talk about this stuff every day, so yeah. I see what's going on. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. And I, and I know that you used, you know, we'll, we'll get to this in just a minute when we talk about your new album, but uh, obviously you, you really incorporated all of this uh, in the production of your new record. So, but we'll get to that in a second. But let's go back to 2009 real quick because you appeared in the fantastic Bill Withers documentary film yeah. uh, called Still Bill that featured you and Bill writing a song together called Mi Amigo Cubano. Yeah that was eventually released on your album, Don't Hesitate. And, you know, that part of the documentary, you know, really showed how important Bill's input and vision still is in today's music scene and, and your equally valuable collaboration. So can you tell us about you and Bill and how you guys met and, and how you came to work together? Um, <clears throat> Bill's daughter, Corey, kind of turned Bill on. I don't remember if it was uh, something on TV or something. And then he came to one of my shows at the Roxy in Hollywood. And, uh, you know, I met him and this and that. And, you know, we talked about just, you know, just stuff. And then uh, he called me on the phone once when I was on tour and he said, hey, I want to write a song with you in Spanish, you know. And I was kind of like, Spanish, you know, really? I mean, (laughs) you know, I want to write with you in English. You know, I didn't say that, but that's what I thought. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, but you know, when I was in in Hollywood, I ended up going over to his house. Now, there were the guys that were doing the documentary had also worked with Herbie Hancock and did the Possibilities documentary, yeah, as well as doing uh, my videos for State of Mind. So I think you know that whole kind of group of people. Uh, you know, I was kind of in the mix there. You know, so uh, when I got there, you know. Um, I mean, Bill's like, well, let's write this song, and this is the idea that I have. And the thing that was really heavy about that was, you know, he gave me the idea, and we started talking about it, and I came back the next day with with a song. You know, we talked about the idea, so he would say, you know, I want to say this in English. How do you say this? And I, you know, and I would come up with, and he kind of came up with that sort of one to four you know, a uh, chord sequence that, that that's in Mi Amigo Cubano. That that was his, ding, 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 that was his idea. Right. You know, do, do, de, da, bo, bum, bum, that was his idea, sort of. But he didn't have any of the words. He just had, actually what he had was Mi Amigo Cubano, Hola Como Estas. That was what he gave me. Yeah, gotcha. uh-huh. yeah, yeah. And and then, you know, we, we sort of worked through the song, but then I came with him the next day, like I, I said, okay, I wrote the song. Uh-huh. And uh, he said, yeah, we need another verse. And I said, oh, uh, okay, I'll, I'll go home. And he goes, no, write it right now. <laughs> Put you on the spot. Really? Yeah, just write it. You know, let me know when you're, you know, when you're done. So I'm sitting there. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, trying to write this thing. And there's nothing. It's just, you know, silence. I'm like, my God, what... You know, and you know, like we had talked about some ideas. Oh, yeah, we need another verse. You know, so that was that was the the most high pressure part of the whole. Yeah, thing. that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping up to 2010, uh, you released an album called Synthesis, and. Uh, that had you composing uh, many of the songs with uh, Larry Klein, who's you know best wor- known for his work with Joni Mitchell, Don Henley, you know Peter Gabriel, and some others. And uh, but also in two 2000- thousand, yeah, yeah. But uh, also in two thousand ten, uh, you selected Joe's Pub in New York City 
as the spots record and film your performances uh, over two nights, and uh, the results yeah. of which would you know become your self-released live album and DVD called Invisible Chains, uh, live from New mm-hmm. York City. And you know, for those of you who have never had an opportunity to see uh, Raul perform, you know his you know your show your solo shows. You know, feature you playing percussion and, and guitar at the same time, playing piano, and the introduction for the song "Invisible Chains." You know, you, you discuss in detail how you taught yourself uh, for learning how to play both the guitar uh, parts and bass parts at once uh, for right. this reggae song, and, and uh, you know, it was an outstanding release and a must-have. Uh, you know, you know, must have been a, a special uh, couple of nights for you. But what are your rec- recollections, and what was, uh, and was there a special reason? And I think I know why, because you said you had a residency at Joe's Pub. Uh, you obviously selected. Well, it. actually, that was afterward. Uh, okay. The residency was kind of when I first moved to New York. Oh, okay. Uh, with Bill Bragan. Yeah, yeah. At oh. that point, but but you know, Joe's Pub had always been kind of a special place, so I selected it because okay. it was where I got my start. Right, right. Um, but. The thing that was so special about that was that, you know, I finally decided, you know, because people have been saying, you know, what you said, which is all your live shows. And I'm like, well, you know, yeah. people like it so much. Let's just record it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Let's record a live show. And, and, and I, I never realized how, I mean, that record is, in a way, once again, it was kind of one of those things that happens in the music industry where you're, kind of back on your own and you're like, okay, uh, you know, there was no label involved. We mm-hmm. just did it and financed it ourselves. And once again, showed ourselves we could do it, you know, um, right. and, and, and not have, you know, this, there's less need for less and less need for labels every day that, that, that in the music business, you know, yeah. uh, they do less and less for you every year. <laughs> That's, yeah. So, you know, the live album was something that we did and you you just, you know, it was it was really special because of that and, and people still really you know, we still sell a lot of those. Right, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a really beautiful project and um and you know, like like I said a second ago, I, if you've never seen Rail perform, definitely check that out because it's 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 really a, a great example of all that you can do. It's it's amazing. And the special thing about that was we got some people to work with us that were fans that were professionals. You yeah. know, the people that are doing the cameras. It was uh, yeah. this guy Hollis Meminger who was from who was uh, we met him. He was doing the some show that was on TV that was big, the Something Girls. The, you know, he was like a he was a professional cameraman working in New York City, working on TV. And he was a fan, and so okay. we got him to help us with with uh, the the cameras yeah. work on on the live DVD. And then Michael O'Reilly, who is an engineer that I work with on State of Mind, we got him to. That's why the sound. Is, that's why the recording is such a good yeah. recording. Interesting. Yeah, because we didn't just take you know get a recording from the board. We got right a real engineer with mics and, you know, and a Pro Tools rig and everything there so right. that the recording would sound really good. And it does. Yeah, it's excellent. Well, guys, we're about to dive into uh, a discussion, of course, about your upcoming album, Badass and Blind. But uh, before we do, if you guys don't mind, let's take a quick break and let's listen to the title track. Uh, I guess this is a little something to get the juices flowing. <laughs> and this is from our guest today, Raul Medan on Inside Music Cast. Uno, dos. Tres, cuatro. Paper trails and ticket sales from Budapest to Bombay. 
Crazy lines and neon signs And everybody's willing to pay Video streams and magazines Where they all got something to say But I stand alone without a clone And I'm more than just okay I'm badass, badass, badass and blind What I do is clear and true It'll mesmerize your mind Climb aboard this ship of rhyme And what you've lost you'll find When to me you listen close Your neighbors will not mind Cause just like you they'll listen to And leave their cares behind Cause I'm badass, badass, badass and blind Let go of your dream, you will wake up in it If you don't know what I mean, think on it a minute Never had my vision, I've learned to live without it If you cannot tap your feet, don't worry about it When you open up your ears, you can hear a pin drop up to your fears, you will feel your heart stop In the midst of getting free, you will feel in prison Whether to be or not to be, what's the question is it always will be Writing, rapping, singing, tapping my feet Right on the beat, no matter if it's hard or easy I'll be dropping the mic while you're bitching and grieving For the loss of your state of mind Cause I'm killing with my badass rhythm and rhyme Hip-hop with harmony, fuck are you kidding me? Write me a song, easy and strong Make me feel good, wanna sing along Make it lyrical, magical, mystical, beautiful, radical Indivatical, but automatical Like breathing in time with this music that I'm putting down Cause I'm a teller of tales, a master of scales, a spinner of rhymes And I'm a little bit ahead of my time I'm a badass, badass, badass and blind not that we want to gloss over the 2014 album Don't Hesitate, but I do want to spend some time before we uh, we wrap it up here. I want to talk about your new album that's coming out on March 24th, and it's your latest, yes. and it's called uh, Badass and Blind, and uh, yes. we've, we've been fortunate enough to hear it, and it and uh, it's fantastic. And as a matter of fact, everything I've heard, I don't know, you've had such great, uh, great repertoire over the years, such great uh, disc- discography, and I love everything you do, but this album's my favorite. <laughs> and, oh, thank you. Uh, it really is. And, and well, was th- was this there one? was a lot of things that were really important. One, it was important for me to get into the jazz side of what I do in right. a deeper way, and that we, 
I had the opportunity to do that because I was working with uh, the Monterey Jazz Festival on tour band. Okay. And uh, that's how, you know, so, so I, I, you know, I was working with Nicholas Payton and Gerald Clayton and Joe Sanders and Gregory Hutchison every night, you know. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. I, and so the songs that I contributed, I said, well, this is the opportunity to record them. So right. we had a little break in New York, and I <laughs> got him into the studio and recorded it. Nice. And what was so cool about it was we'd been playing the songs every night for months, so it was a <laughs> it was easy peasy. A quick know? session, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was a Sunday of the Super Bowl, um, which meant that nobody else wanted to be in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we got it for a little cheaper than we would have yeah. normally. Uh so we got to record in Manhattan instead of in New Jersey or in Brooklyn or where most, you know, right. where those things normally get done. But it was more convenient to record in Manhattan. And, and we had, you know, like a killer acoustic piano and mm-hmm. microphones that are worth more than most people's cars. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is a beautiful sounding album. Did, did you also self-produce this one? Yes, I did. Okay, yep. cool. And... I, since you you know you've had all this stuff uh, all, all this stuff rehearsed and you're ready to go, it probably didn't take that long to uh, to, to produce, did it? I, production. Well, I mean, you know, those particular songs, um, you know, went pretty easily. But I mean, you know, I still put it together in my studio. So yeah, it was still some production involved. And then, of course, the other songs I produced, you know, in the studio. Um, mm-hmm. I have another band that we also recorded on the album. Uh, the the song Sound Shadow and Pedal to the Metal yep. and that's another band. Okay. But uh, yeah, I mean it wasn't as intensive. In well, I don't know. It it was still it was still a lot of work. I mean, you know, the, some, one of the songs that was the most work, which is really hard to believe, was Fly Like an Eagle because of the the amount of it ended up being like sixty seven tracks or something like that. Wow. <laughs> and uh man it's a good thing i had a i had gotten a, a, an upgraded computer because my old computer would have crashed and burned on that song <laughs> it was just so much audio and so much going on yeah all these 64-bit uh synthesizer sounds yeah, keyboards yeah, and yeah. stuff it just would have just crashed the computer to hell so yeah. you you tracked it obviously at the studio in manhattan but did you did you end up doing the editing and mixing yourself I did the editing myself. Uh-huh. Uh, the mixing I did with Michael O'Reilly, okay. who, who I worked with the live album, who was the engineer on State of Mind. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so I mixed it with him. I see. Okay, uh, I don't really mix in my studio. Um, the final mixes I do a lot of rough mixes, but I don't really mix in there because it's I just don't have the the plugins. And, sure. Hey, tell us a little bit about the you know the track "Badass and Blind," and it's uh, it's a track that has a uh, sort of a quasi uh, you know Steely Dan, a really neat vibe to it. It's a really cool song, and uh, is um, but this is a little harder to believe. Was uh, didn't you get some pushback, some resistance from uh, some radio stations because they didn't want a title or didn't want to play a, a track? That, well, I mean, a little bit, and sometimes I still. Ah, it's just so stupid. Actually, <laughs> interestingly enough, that song was not on the album. Really? Originally. Yeah, I, I I called the album Badass and Blind, but there was no song. Oh, really? And <laughs> the album was mixed and mastered. And, and uh, 
I don't know, I was talking with my wife, and, you know, I should write that song. So I wrote the song, and then, uh, I'm like, well, should we put it on the album? And so it was kind of like, literally, it's the first song on the album, but it got recorded and mixed and mastered at the very last minute. Yeah, I got you. So it was you, you wrote it for the, for the album. I got you. I wrote it once I came up with a title for the <laughs> album. That's interesting. I see. <laughs> hey, well, the the second track uh, on the album, uh, this new album, Badass and Blind, is a is a, a track called Red, Green, Yellow, and yeah. you, know, you could say that this track has you know kind of a, a little bit of a steely Dan vibe to it as well. And one of the lyric, you know, is is all this stop and go has got me crazy for my lazy long ago that I used to know. And uh, you know, the lyrics are you know the way I took them anyway was a statement about how life is so full of continual stop and go, you know, hard work yes. to make ends meet, all represented mm -hmm. by, you know, like a traffic light. And, you know, yes. I, was, I was thinking about this song, you know, and if you, just digging deeper, you know, we all know that red, green, and yellow are the colors used to, you know, yes. visually communicate stop, caution, and go. But I wondered how you personally assimilate those colors, you know, and if I put myself in your shoes, it really, to me, it really adds to a much higher personal sort of poetic license Absolutely. to write about color and connecting meaning to it. Absolutely. And, well, you know, one of the jokes I make on stage is I, I decided to write about what I don't know, which is colors. Yeah. But really, you know, <clears throat> colors do have great associations for me. I okay. love literature uh, because of the fact that, that the, the great writers describe everything and describe color in a way that just completely stimulates my imagination. Okay. So by reading, yeah. I don't know, Nabokov or Mark Twain or yeah. Dickens or whatever, or, or, or a thriller, you, you start, you know, you, you become maybe not familiar with color in the same way that, that you are that see it. But when somebody says something is blue or green, it does mean something to me. Yeah, because I, I've had I've had so many associations with it. I mean, I used to, and I still love. Uh, you know, I'll go to MoMA and put the headphones on and yeah. walk around and listen to them describe the paintings. To yeah. me, that's it's, that's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I don't get to see them, but you get to feel them. But I still enjoy hearing about yeah about paintings or. Uh, architecture or you know whatever right hey another another track that totally hooked me is is the track called wings of mind and um yes. in fact this track is is one that i i can't get enough of and there's and this is where you employ uh, a linear modal approach you know it's a yes. form of jazz composition that you know you've been interested in for quite some time so can you give us yes. an explanation of linear modal composition and how you integrated this approach into some of your work on badass and blind Okay, well, hopefully you got some listeners that will not get bored. <laughs> oh, no. oh, no, we've got uh, some big geeks here, okay. <laughs> but, so in jazz composition, you know, at first there was the sort of, uh, you know, the, the early jazz, the Dixieland and so forth, and then, you know, and then bebop, and bebop was basically still based on diatonic harmony in the right. sense that, you know, it, it's 2-5-1 harmony. You know, it's key changing very quickly, but it's still keys in, in the way that we know them, you know, C major and E flat major. Sure. So linear modal employs the modes of the, so, so for instance, if you, if you play the C, just, just to, to keep it nice and simple. So if you play the C major scale, right, yep. mm -hmm. 
the fourth uh, mode or the fourth note in the C major scale is the F, right? Right. Mm-hmm. right. But if you play the F and you play the notes starting on that note, you get a slightly different kind of major chord because you know uh, you get you get the major third, so you get the F, A, C sharp, but then you also get the the sharp eleven, which is the D, instead of the D, D flat. A, a normal major chord has a natural eleven in it. Okay, okay. it's called the Lydian mode. So it's a very specific sound. It doesn't. It isn't actually a major sound. It's actually a yeah. Lydian sound. Okay. So linear modal means that instead of going through scales, you go. You you might go from the Lydian to uh, a Lydian augmented or to a Phrygian raised six, which is the second mode of melodic minor. So okay. if you take the minor scale and you have the natural seven in it or the sharp seven, if you want to call it, the, 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 the same as the major scale. So instead of a normal minor that has a, a flat six in it, what's called, what's called a natural minor, okay. has a flat six and flat seven, the melodic minor has a uh, natural six and natural seven. So if you, if you play that in a tertiary way, you get a minor major seven chord. A lot of movies have that. Uh, the very last chord in Spider-Man, uh-huh. Is a minor major seven. Well, now the spider man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah, okay. Exactly. That's yeah. a minor major seven. Yeah. It's sound. like the very the la- the last word of, of Batman, <laughs> that type of thing. Batman is, I think, a Dorian actually, ah, but it's okay. the same kind of. It's the same idea. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, it's a different yeah, yeah. mode, but it's the same idea. Uh-huh. Anyway, so 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 that. That is a uh, sort of modern jazz style that, that started with, with Wayne Shorter and people like that, started in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, yeah. And not a whole lot of songs have been written in linear modal harmony. There's a lot of jazz tunes, especially on, you know, the Weather Report. And, uh, sure. You know, the, uh, the Wayne Shorter records, you know, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Juju and, you know, these kind of records. But... I wanted to write some songs using that, and that's where, and and of course, playing with these musicians, I said, well, this is the opportunity to do that. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Because you you, you know, if you give if you give a linear modal song to, you know, a, a rock guy or a, you know, they're, they're going to be like, what the hell are these chords? <laughs> right. Yeah, you need guys that are familiar with the vocabulary. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Actually, you had me thinking. I, I started to drift off for a second, but not because of what you were talking about. Well, it's because of what you're talking about, but I was trying to think if there are popular songs, you know, that I just off the top of my head that do that, you know, if they, and so now I'm like going through a litany of songs in my uh, mind. <laughs> I mean, Asia, to some extent, the Steely Dan song yeah, yeah. has some linear modal aspects to it. Yeah. That's a good assignment for all of our listeners. No doubt, we're gonna have to, once your interview comes out, we're gonna we're gonna post the stuff on Facebook and see all these That's all right. these comments here. Hey, this lens this ends in linear mode. Yeah, no, there, there are definitely some. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's something else. Yeah, 
like the 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 song Asia. Yeah. I run to you. Yeah, right, right. yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Those last two chords are yeah. are Lydian chords. Okay. All right. So it's it's a it's a it's kind of has some linear modal aspects to it. Hmm. Very very cool. Uh, very cool indeed. Well, thanks for explaining that. You know, and running through that. Uh, that was very. I, I was very intrigued. Personally, I'm very intrigued. You, you said you might put some people to sleep, but I don't know. We've got a bunch of geeky music oh. fans here, so I think they're going to be all over this. No, well, there's some people that'll know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, Raul, you've really described and, and simplified linear modal harmonies and compositions about you know, about as well as anybody could. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, to tie this all together. Let's play a track from Badass and Blind that is the musical definition of linear modal. And uh, this is Wings of Mind from our guest today, Raul Madan, on Inside Music Cast.
You know, you mentioned it a little bit ago, but we love how you covered and, and restructured Steve Miller's "Fly Like an Eagle." And you know, this yeah. this song goes personally; it goes a long way back for you. And tell us why you chose to cover this track and to add it to the album. It was one of the songs that uh, I used to listen to. This radio station in New Mexico called KRST, and it was uh, it was uh, it was referred to the Sandia Crest uh, Mountain. In uh, in Albuquerque, and it was on top of the mountain. It was called KRST. It was a rock station, FM, you know, kind of album rock station. Mm-hmm. And this was one of the tunes that they started playing, and and they started playing it before, um, this album became. I mean, it became a monster hit album. Oh, absolutely, yeah. With songs like "Keep on Rocking Me, Baby," and. Uh, uh, take the money and run. Yep. Those were hits. Like, yep. but before that, this song played on on the FM sort of album rock stations, and uh, it it was kind of funky. It had kind of a funky thing to it. It had a groove to it. It had these wild synthesizer sounds, and it was the first album that I ever bought with my own money. Okay, all right, interesting. Uh, and it was at Woolworths. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. At Woolworths in Santa Fe, and I think it was five ninety nine. I think. Boy, we remember those days. <laughs> I remember my first album. What was that? I remember, I think I got it, and then I went and had like a cheesecake at Woolworths. <laughs> to celebrate. That's perfect, man. That's yeah. perfect. <laughs> my, my very first album that I bought uh, was, uh, was Toto. Their very first album oh. in 1978. Yeah, oh my goodness. My very yeah, first that, album. Was, that, was, that was some pretty heady stuff. <laughs> Holy cow. My... That was a bunch of studio musicians in yeah, L.A. Absolutely. Mine was uh, Cat Stevens' Tea for the Tillerman. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that that's, was that's a long That's a great time. album. I Holy. like Cat Stevens. Yeah, we're going to have to post that, too. Everybody's going to tell us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was your first album you bought? <laughs> that's great. Well, you know, this album, Badass and Blind, is, is, is a wonderfully diverse collection of songs. You know, it, it showcases... You know, a lot of great musical and lyrical depth and sophistication. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've seen we've seen some of the rehearsal footage you've posted on YouTube for your upcoming yeah. tour in support of the album. We noticed that, you know, you're going out with, with a rhythm section and, and your solo concerts yeah. are, are such yeah. a showcase for so many of your talents. Do you look forward to the freedom of the additional players, you know, uh, uh, as a performer, especially with this new material? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be, you know, every first thing about it, it's going to be something different. You know, I've been doing the solo sure. thing for a while, so it's it's something different. And, uh, you know, there's freedom that you get from not having a rhythm section, but then there's also freedom that you get from having a rhythm section. There's right. things that you can do that, sure. you know, that you can't do without, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm cranking out the electric guitar, which I haven't done in a long time. Yeah. Really? So I'm going to be playing electric guitar on, yeah, a lot of electric guitar, and I'm getting a chance to play some screaming, you know, leads, which I haven't done in a long time. And I don't think, probably most people don't even know I do that, you know? Yeah. Holy so cow. It's actually a lot of fun. 
That's neat. You know, you've uh, Raul, you you've worked with uh, so many talented people over the over the the years and your career so far, and so much more to go. But is there any particular artist that you ever dream of uh, collaborating with? Anybody that you'd say, I would like to work with that person? Oh, sure. I mean, um, you know, I still, I, I guess, I kind of hearken back to the old. Uh, you know, I'm still, I would still love to work with Paul Simon at some point. Yeah. Uh, wow. Chick Corea. Yeah. Uh, He's John going, McLaughlin. Chick Corea is going out with his electric band this year, I think. Yeah, I, I know. Saw, yeah, and he I is. think McLaughlin is touring, like his, he's calling it his last tour. Really? I think so. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not ashamed to say that for the most part, it's the music I grew up with and right. or right now I'm really into listening. I'm going back to listening to uh, the sort of electronic music of uh of the early and mid twentieth century. Like a lot of Steve Reich and you know, okay. all this I, I just I the crazy shit really appeals to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all this kind of sonic yeah. experimentation. I, I'm getting a little bit bored with pop music and you know, sort of mm-hmm. I no. I, I it, it's just a stage I'm in right now. I don't, I'm not really, when people ask me, what new music are you listening to? Okay. Yeah. Not a whole lot. <laughs> I mean, I, I listen to, I hear it, but it's, it's not, there's it doesn't n- interest me. There's nothing out there. There's, there's in- a lot of like boilerplate, super compressed, you yeah. know, super just noise going on right now. Right. Right. I, I'm, I'm just not into it. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I know how you feel. When I'm, I'm looking at some of your tour dates that you have, Raul, and um, we're in Indianapolis here, and the closest you're going to be to us on April 9th, you're going to be in uh, in Cleveland, and uh, yep. and then you're going to be in Detroit, then you're going to come back to Cleveland on April 15th. Maybe this is uh, could be a neat show that I, we can break away and yeah, and, come, and check come out to your Cleveland. show. I, I, I could, yeah, yeah, for that, sure. That would be that would be really interesting because you're uh, you're going to make other rounds up the coast and end up in our area. So hopefully we'll be able to connect. Yeah, that'd be great. Absolutely. Well, this has been, we've taken up a lot of your time and I know. we really appreciate you giving it to us. And uh, we've really enjoyed the interview and I think our listeners are going to dig this as well. They are. Thank you so much. This is this has been outstanding. We love this. Well, thank you. Thank you. And and, uh, and I, I appreciate the comments on the record. Oh, it's I, fabulous. I, really I, l- I love it. Um, it comes out March 24th and it's called Badass and Blind. And uh, uh, is there, obviously, is it going to be released in a physical form or is it going to be primarily digital or both? No, no, it's physical. Uh, okay. You know, there'll be uh, CDs. Of course, it's going to be digital as well. Yeah. Uh, there's some, I don't know when this is going to broadcast, but there's some pre-order stuff. People can get a signed copy if they pre-order it. And, yeah. Uh, as well as a track for free on download. Yeah, that's good. Well, we are, we have to remember... Uh, uh, thank Scott Gross. Yeah, thanks so much to Scott Gross, our correspondent from Largo, Florida, who uh, helped us connect, get connected to you and set this up. So, and also for all the great questions and, yeah, and research you did. So, thank, thank you, you so much, Scott. Thank you. And uh, Raul, thanks thank again. Uh, thanks yep. so much. And uh, we'll stay with you and we'll, we'll uh, find out what you're up to and maybe we can connect again in the future. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Special thanks to Raul Medan for joining us on this episode of Inside MusicCast. We'd also like to thank our correspondents, Brian Pearson, Kim Riley, Scott Gross, Mikhail Ingstrom, Loretta Sassaman, Scott Sheriff, Don Brightup, Yinka Oyelese, and Arnaud Legere 
for their support and content development. For the best in West Coast AOR, pop, jazz, and funk, tune in to Inside Music Cast Radio. Download the streaming app for Android and iOS devices, or listen at InsideMusicCast.com. Inside Music Cast is powered by Earshot Audio Post and Cabello Associates. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast and Inside Music Cast Radio. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. I wanna fly like an eagle to the sea. Fly like an eagle, let my spirit carry me. I want to fly. With no shoes on their feet How's the people Living in the street Oh, there's a solution I wanna fly like an eagle To the sea Fly like an eagle Let my spirit carry me I want to fly like an eagle Slipping, slipping, slipping